So hello and welcome to Internet Retailing Subscription Podcast with Avalara. I'm Katie Searles, editor of DeliveryX, host of the Beyond the Buy Button podcast and now host of this brand new offering that's going to look at the subscription economy. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Lewis Fitzpatrick, Customer Account Team Manager from Avalara and James Symes, CEO and founder of Bike Club. Before we get into the nitty gritty of the rental market, do you just want to introduce yourselves to our listeners, starting with you, Louis. Hey, sure. My name is Louis Fitzpatrick. I've been with Avalara for the best part of seven years, working, serving our customers directly and now supporting a team of nine customer account managers. Excellent. And James? My name is James Symes. I'm the CEO and founder of Bike Club, um, which I've been working on full time since about 2020. Before that, I was at KPMG, where I trained in audit and then moved into transactions before working for the chairman. Interesting fact about me, I've also stood for Parliament as well in the 2015 general election. Oh. Um, don't intend to go back to politics anytime <laughs> soon, uh, but yeah, that's the other thing that I've done before. You thought the rental market was more... Interestingly, the 2015 general election was part of what inspired me to do Bike Club. When you work at something like KPMG, it's a great career, great place to work. But then you come to realise that you perhaps want to have more impact mm. in your career. And actually doing... The whole politics thing is all about impact. And it's, it is a hugely impactful career to be a politician, but you've also kind of got to put up with being a politician, which I never quite got my head around posting my face through people's door, <laughs> doors in the morning. It was a bit weird to me, that concept. But then entrepreneurship, I've set up a business before. Um, that's still going. But then uh, I'm sadly nothing to do with it. But then I thought I want to do that again. And actually doing setting up an impactful business was something I really wanted to get into. And that's how... I came to Bike Club, this idea of lending kids' bikes, which you then exchange as you grow, therefore reducing waste in the economy, but also giving families much higher-quality bikes that actually fit them and a much better experience generally. I'm I'm a third child. My mum likes to joke that this business was me getting back at her for always giving me hand-me-down rubbish bikes. <laughs> I promise you it's not with 75,000-odd bikes into it, but like it's it's it is very much about this idea that this circular economy is a much better way to consume products as opposed to a linear co- economy where we buy something, wear it, throw it away. And that's what the concept of Bike Club is. And it works through rental, basically. As the eldest child, I didn't have <laughs> hand-me-downs, but have recently moved into buying from second-hand clothing operations. And there's definitely that idea and that element that consumers as a whole, not just me, are looking for more circular propositions and the rental market, which is part of the wider subscription market, is a chance to do that. Whether it's a designer handbag, whether it's an outfit for a special occasion that you're only going to wear once, there's an opportunity for consumers here to be more sustainable. But as you've said, for businesses themselves to be ticking that green agenda box. I don't like the idea of taking the box. I think it's more around moving away from linear lock-in, which is what you refer to your sort of standard big retailers. They're, they're locked into this linear model. It's how their supply chains work, it's how their balance sheet functions, and it's how that's all working, to moving towards a circular economy. And it's going to take a long time for the incumbents to get there, and that's why there's this wonderful green sort of space for startups to move in and ha- have a go at trying to build this circular economy in consumer goods. You referenced 
fashion, which I think is a fantastic sector. And there's also consumer electronics, which is another area where you see some of the bigger scale players. And then you've got certain business B2B types of thing, which I can get very nerdy about if you want me to. But for us, we're more into these sort of harder mechanical goods, and that's our kids' bikes. And we do do some adult bikes as well. We haven't gone down the e-bike route because we just can't quite get comfortable with the what you call tech delinquency. So the e-bikes, if you look at the ones when we kind of started Bike Club in 2016 to what they are today, that's quite dramatic differences between those two types of bike. Whereas you look at the kids' bikes we bought in 2016, well, we are still renting those out today and they're still going, basically, which... which that allows you to charge a much lower monthly price because your bikes are going to last a really long time and you can keep them maintained and you can look after them. And that means that you're also improving the impact of your bikes, basically, because they're getting more usage out of them in that respect. So, yeah, for us, it's um, kids' bikes has worked really, really well as a, as a space and we really enjoy it as, a, as something to work on. Coming back to that launching in 2016 to where you are now, I believe you started off just renting to a family member and very quickly you've gone to, did you say 75,000 units? Uh, yeah, we're around 75,000 bikes now. Um, although, yeah, that's obviously includes stock numbers as well as what's in the field. And we operate in the UK and Germany and we are expanding that geographical footprint, hoping to add another couple of countries on this year. Hoping. Let's just see how we go though because... Yes, it's June already. And um, for us, it's been a really interesting experience. I think you in, in a rental model, you've kind of got four areas you've got to focus on. So you've got finance, you've got to pay for your product, right? So you can either do that on your own balance sheet when you need to start looking at equity payback periods and finance arrangements. And that's how we do it. So we've got some quite junky financing arrangements. Or you can do it through like a revenue share model with the supplier and then use their balance sheet to fund it. You then got marketing, and marketing is pretty standard B2C marketing stuff. But the other thing you have in our business is you have negative sales, right? So we have people who borrow a bike and don't necessarily want to use that bike for the purposes we expect them to use it for, i.e. steal it and steal it, send it, sell it on eBay or use it on a very short-term basis for like a week or something. This is not We're a long-term rental company, so that's what we want to do. Marketing does need to have a slight focus on it. Then of operations, so... Last month, I think we shipped just over 8,500 bikes. And you think about that, that's quite a lot per day on a 21-day working work month. And so you've actually got to get that. There's a lot of like moving of physical product, and you've then also got to build and maintain them. And I think we did about 5,000 through our operations as well last month. So these are, there's a lot of like manufacturing that happens in our, in our business. And I suppose the final one is, again, pretty typical to retailers, but merchandising, making sure you're choosing the right products to have in your in your model but the thing about rental there's an extra feature to it these products have to last a long time so if you're a linear clothing retailer and we can name some really big ones and probably get in serious trouble so let's not do that <laughs> um but if you're a clothing retailer you're looking at your margin you're looking at but does it look good can we sell it and is it going to be worn twice fine who cares whereas for like a rental business you've got to go was well, it going to be worn 200 i don't know not 200 times mm. 20 times and for for us for a kids bike it's like we want them to last about seven years we want to be able to maintain them and that's why we think the rental model works quite well for our type of business, as opposed to a buy and resell model, which is another way of doing this, because actually we act as the custodian to our bikes. And so because we have we choose a, we have a merchandise strategy that's about choosing the right bikes that we can maintain and look after and will last a long time, we actually believe that it gives us the ability to be able to offer a better price to our, our members. And that's why it's a critical part of this business. And I suppose finally you need to engineer the product to tie all that together. And that's like the, the, the tech side of things. And sticking with that, bikes lasting for, say, seven years, 
There's also, we've already touched on it, the sort of second-hand offering. Is there a pair service? Can people choose a pre-loved bike or is it always going to be a new bike that they're getting for their child at whatever stage? No, you're absolutely right. I wasn't clear about that. We have two types of bike. Um, that's your new bike or what we now call our club bikes, uh, previously called rebikes. But the club bike is basically what our refurbished product is. If you were to go on eBay today and you were to look for kids' bikes, you'd probably find about 2,000 for sale, right? The problem with every one of those, I'm kind of guessing, is they won't have been serviced and looked after properly. Now, we, as a business, through lockdown, bought about 3,000 secondhand bikes right, to, to service our business because there was no bike supply, and that's quite well documented. Going through that, we saw just the quality of the bikes that you could buy on second-hand marketplaces. There really are greater problems in those bikes than people ever realise. That's why when you get a refurbished bike from Bike Club, it has been properly looked at by a mechanic and it is signed off through a quality control process and it's also better value. So unsurprisingly, it is our most popular selling category. The more refurbished bikes we have, or club bikes as we call them, the more we get we rent out, basically. And for the products coming back, for the bikes coming back into you, returns is a big headache for retailers of all types. But the reverse logistics part is a very big part of your standard model. How how do you manage that? Yeah, well, thankfully, this has become a big topic for retailers. So as a result, you are seeing a lot more service providers in the market, which is fantastic because it means there's a bit more liquidity in terms of how you can get good courier prices because it is expensive. We then have our own tech solution, our own product solution, which is our warehouse management system. That tracks bikes all the way through their life cycle. And as they come back in, it allows us to properly be able to manage that process. Before we had that, it could get chaotic at times, to, to say the least. But actually, with if you apply the right technology to it, you can solve the issue and move that through. We then, you know, then you have a various operational stages to the bike. And, you know, it starts with things like cleaning, Cleaning a product after it's been used is critical in all rental businesses, whether it's electronics all the way down to kids' bikes to clothing. Obviously, is quite an obvious space, right? And um, and then you then you kind of have your repair and refurbishment area, area to it, and then you restock it, and it can go back out to the customer in that respect. Sticking with the tech point and coming to you, <coughs> Louis, the right sort of technology, the right platform, the right almost automation is critical in the subscription space because it. It allows businesses like Bike Club to focus on everything else that they're doing so well. Yeah. So from our side, we work with a whole host of different uh, subscription service providers. So, you know, Chargebee, Zora, etc. you know, most of the big players out there. And we help our customers automate that indirect tax compliance throughout the uh, the process. So, yes, is the platform that they're using important? Does it, it, Absolutely. By all means. I think what we see, because we're in the tax determination and well, the indirect tax determination and, and filing world, we really see the importance of being able to support our customers with accurate tax determination in particular. So, you know, is the tax rate going to be correct? Is Does it factor in exactly what type of good or service is being uh, provided, etc.? So I, I think the tools are really important. But I hear also from speaking to customers, it's really important to have the right sort of subscription management service, you need to be able to capture data from your customers, right? So one of the beauties of the subscription model is that you actually end up knowing a lot more about the consumer than you would if you were just selling the product directly and then buying, you know, GFK data or Nielsen data. And I'm sure, James, for example, you probably know your customers a lot better than I'd imagine just some of the 
uh, larger manufacturers. So, um, yeah, I think the tech platform is really important and I think it's key to roll out automation. Is knowing your customers and you're with them for such a long time from when their little ones are on gravity balance bikes. I don't know what the proper term is for the ones that have replaced <laughs> <Balance> stabilizers. <box. laughs> <Balance laughs> okay. But you're you're with them from balance bikes right through to oh you said you, you do adult bikes. Does that mean you don't have this subscription churn and cancellations to deal with because you know your customers and know that data so well? Yeah, it's a good it's a very good difference between a linear retailer and a circular retailer. We can be basically cancelled at any time and we only make money if you stay with us for a long time. Whilst a linear retailer makes all their money in the foot in day one and they don't really care whether you come back. But well they they do and it, that's me being unfair, but they they that's that's kind of the, the economics of it, right? And so as a result, you really need to maintain those customer records correctly so that you can provide a very strong customer experience to your members, we call them members, to our members, and then they will hopefully stay with us for a very long time, exchange as they grow, to enjoy the full benefits of Bike Club, and say nice things to their friends. And about over a quarter of our sales are from referral, and that's how our business grows a lot, is through referral. So there's a lot of, you know, there's the core economic reason of keeping hold of a customer, it's how you get payback on your actual product, and then there's the actual, like, uh, marketing reasons of it's how you can properly scale and grow your business much more cheaply for us. The bike club has club in its title. There's a real sense of community around subscriptions. They're not just, as you said, one-off shoppers. They're people that come back time and time again. How do you sort of keep them? What are you doing to retain them? Fundamentally, it's about making sure that we have the right product in the right colour at the right time and at the right price, basically. So the more efficient we can get our operations, the more efficient you can get your marketing, the better financing we can get. The better user experience we can create, the better the club is. And that's how you can retain people. We have tried plenty of different things involving perks and benefits and all this kind of stuff. Fundamentally, you're coming to Bike Club to rent a kid's bike. They don't really care about those commercial partners and all that sort of stuff. They really care about making sure that we nail that service for them. We take away that hassle of, of getting kids' bikes. When you've got kids, there's lots of hassle, lots of stuff you're buying, right? And actually, if we can just nail that and make that so that it's like, that's gone away, I'm part of the sustainable thing, it's a great way to get a kid's bike and it's not going to create any waste and I feel generally better about that, that really, really helps, basically. And that's that's how we want to retain our customers. In that respect. You've touched on the fact that you're available in the UK and in Germany, but you're looking at other sort of EU countries looking at expanding. How are you facilitating that growth? What What is happening next for Bike Club? So it's a good question, and it's quite a hard one to answer. So you do a bit of desktop research, and you take a look at things. You go and talk to tax advisors, you talk to lawyers, and you do that sort of stuff to check your compliance and, and all of that. And then it kind of comes down to what you can do on the ground. And what we found with Germany, the critical thing you've got to have is a very strong country manager. And hiring a strong country manager is... We got really, really lucky with Germany. Um, we've got a fantastic country manager there. She's doing a brilliant job. But the reality is, like, finding that person can be quite hard. And so ideally, you want to find sort of entrepreneurs, management teams that are already perhaps doing something similar to you in the market and try to work directly with them. And that's what we're trying to do across the European markets for us. If that doesn't work, we'll go off and hire our own country manager and build the team out and, and do all of that. 
We've had quite a long debate about whether you should try and run multiple countries from one office. So we've got offices in London, Berlin, Gibraltar. And so do you just add the Netherlands onto the Berlin office or do something like that? The problem we have with that is Bike Club isn't selling a product, it's selling a service. And as you're selling a service, that has to be slightly changed and calibrated for the markets you're in. So as a result, you kind of want to have someone who is so culturally close to that market selling that service for you. Also, the country managers, in a way, I think it's one of the better jobs you can get, full stop, because you actually are kind of given a lot of freedom and capital and lots of support. And generally, it's quite a good incentive package to go forth and succeed in something that is sort of succeeding in another market elsewhere. And actually, we found this with the next country we're doing, because they can see this, they're getting very, very fired up and they're doing a lot of really great work for us. And that's really exciting and it's going to be great to welcome them to the team, basically. Louis, other than putting the right people in place, which is obviously a challenge, but one that, if it's done right, helps with success, what else can subscription companies do to, to sort of facilitate international growth? So again, speaking from a tax perspective, I'm going to repeat one of the things James said about launching and working with a tax advisor. So what I see with customers that that my team works with is that it is key to understand the markets that you're going to enter and also the tax implications of the activities you're going to have in 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 that uh, in that country or in those countries if you're launching in multiple countries. Uh, and I cannot recommend enough working with somebody who knows that market inside out, who knows the tax in that country inside out, it will save a lot of hassle. And we've seen occasionally businesses not do that. And then, you know, the work that has to be done to, to fix that, it's costly and it takes time. And uh, yeah, that would be the first thing I would say. The other thing I'd add on to that is I think you need to have a way of automating like the determination piece, right? So rules change, laws change, taxability changes, and you need to have a tool that can manage that and take that pain away from you on a day-to-day basis. So that's one of the things I see. So you can't be going in and manually changing elements in whatever system you're using. You need to have somebody take ownership of that for you and manage those changes. And it just saves a lot of hassle. So yeah, tax advisor and automation. I'm not a customer of Louis, and I can't help but agree with everything he's just said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's from hard experience as well. Like. You can really mess it up. And, you know, we're learning, not the hard way in Germany, but like Germany is quite a bureaucratic country. And, you know, we don't have, our finance team doesn't speak German. So as a result, you've got a few problems there naturally. And actually, Louis and I are just having a very geeky conversation about a VAT issue that we are talking through. One of our big uh, UK listed circular economy player had a very big VAT issue in Germany. And so it is something that is quite front of mind and as a risk for us. And so there's there's a lot of the, the tax side of things actually is something I've, I personally have underestimated with an international mm. expansion. And, and I'm an accountant, so I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I should, I, there should have been something I should, oh yes, that's going to happen. Uh, but actually, as it turns out, you can fix a lot of these things up front. And we, we did, we've done okay. We just didn't quite spend the many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds, we probably should have spent optimising <laughs> the structure. And so we are now kind of going, and probably like a lot of clients, going backwards and trying to fix these things as we go along. 
but it's it's a it's a hard one though. Like as a startup, you don't want to spend all your money on professional advisors, right? Mm. You you want to spend the right level to get the right level of service for mm. you in the right right places, and and that's that's kind of what we're trying to do. But as you get more successful, because for us we've been very fortunate, the German business has turned into a massive roaring success. Awesome. Hold on, we haven't quite fixed all the tax stuff we should have fixed. <laughs> but yeah, we didn't want to do that because it's going to cost us a hundred grand with whatever big advisor we were going to use. So, and that's kind of obvious because at the time you're looking at a tiny business and you're like, well, I'm not going to spend a hundred grand doing that, right? But now you're like, oh, we should have done that because it's going to cost me twice as much. But mm-hmm. yeah, like that, that's that's the sort of that's my kind of take on that that sort of things. But I do think you're, what you're saying is completely correct. Yeah. It's fantastic. You've had that success in Germany and and here in the UK. Louise mentioned changes and things changing so quickly and having to keep a sort of breast of that. We're now in a very interesting, potentially difficult cost of living crisis. We have record high inflation. Are you seeing change in customer demand there? Is that a wave that you're now having to ride as well? Yeah, 100%. uh, Since about November last year, so since the winter really started, you you started seeing customer preference moving towards value away from premium. And so people just choosing the, the cheaper product as they can do. We haven't seen huge amounts of churn, as, as in people cancelling and trying to move away. I think that's probably because kids' bikes sit in that sort of slight necessity product category. They're not like they're not necessity like washing liquid or whatever, but they kind of you do want to get a bike for your kid, and that's sort of what you want to do. And they're comparatively cheap compared to other things you can do with your kids, like taking them on day outs and all that sort of stuff. But we are definitely seeing people looking for that more value play and being less concerned about what brands and what stickers they have on the side of the of the bike. I don't think that's true across all consumer markets. I think that's perhaps more true in kids' bike land. Kids' bike land is more led by brands than people realise. And actually, but but as I say, that seems to have slightly switched around this year. The bike industry itself, uh, it's going through a huge like post-COVID slump as well. So you've got other stuff going on in in the bike industry. There's huge amounts of overstock in Europe. It's 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 a quite a it's quite a dicey place at the minute. Now we're, we're navigating it quite okay at the minute i would say but also as you say there's a lot of things that can go wrong at the minute basically. is that covid related slump sort of on the back of an active travel boost during covid when we all wanted to get outside and we we weren't using public transport or we were trying to cycle where possible or walk or and now things have started to return to pre-covid normal i say with little bunny ears and that's then having a knock-on effect. Well, so I, it's the mattress problem, right? Let me explain. Okay, so... <laughs> so we all look confused in yeah, the studio. One of the fastest growing startups in UK history was um, Eve Sleep, right? It went from £2.4 million turnover to £30 million turnover in one year. And it then listed on the stock exchange at £140 million, And it had a very strong success story. Subsequently, it's had a different different story. And I remember I was looking at the, their growth and going, how on earth do you get a B2C startup to do that? And so I went out and reached out to their founders and ended up speaking to a couple of their founders. And it was quite interesting talking to them about it because they said to me that the problem with mattresses is that you fundamentally only buy a mattress when you move house or every 10 years, basically. And so as a result, you can't get that customer LTV going for a very long time. Or you can, but it's like over a super long period of time. So as a result, it's quite hard to keep those sales rocketing upwards. So if that's what you're selling the business on, it's quite difficult, basically. And I believe that's the same problem we're seeing in the bike market, right? So in the over the COVID boom, we saw a huge increase in bikes. 
Everyone owns a bike now, if you see what I mean. And as a result, they're not looking to change that bike. And actually, that's why I think the kids' bike market has stayed a little bit more resilient than the adult bike market, because kids do need to change their bike because they grow out of them. That's the premise of bike club, right? So you are seeing that. Whereas I think in the adult bike side of things, I think people are cycling less as things have gone back to some form of like a more normal or slightly different normal. And, you know, people are coming to the office more. You are seeing that sort of three-day, two-day working week happening. And so there's less time to be spent cycling their bike. So they're using it less, so they're not investing more money in bikes. And that's what I think you're seeing. And I think you'll see, as it sort of washes through, it will kind of normalise back to where it was, which was a sort of steadily increasing market, basically, in the UK. It's interesting that you reached out to to another startup. The conversations, partnerships, we've touched on it previously. The subscription market as a whole was still pretty new. The rental market is something that, that is growing increasingly. Learning from others what they've done well, what hasn't gone well, has got to be sort of brilliant advice for anybody looking at the space. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a good, like, circular economy group of founders in Europe who do talk to each other. You know, in the UK, the other bigger, better success story than us, I'd say, uh, is Raylo, and that's Carl Gilbert, and he's done a fantastic job of bringing consumer electronics rental to the market. And then from our investor, our lead investor, Circularity Capital, and they're one of the investors in Grover, which is another big, they're not UK-based, they're German-based uh, consumer electronics rental startup. And both those two companies are really interesting to talk to because we all have the similar issues and we can kind of share what that is. And it's funny because these investors who are investing in these types of business are starting to come up with KPIs and benchmarks that are really interesting to put your business into. And that gives you allows, you allows you to sort of see how you can increase the value of it and how you can do do better for your all stakeholders. And that includes your customers as well. Excellent. So one of the clear benefits of Bike Club, we've touched on it previously, is that sustainability element the rental service as a whole has the power to to be green whether it's an evening gown or or a kid's bike are your subscribers really sort of latching on to that sustainability element is that why they're making the transition so this is a really interesting point so what we've seen in, in the uk sustainability is very much like a secondary thing right so people are looking for either flexibility, hassle-free, or affordability. There's their primary concern. Secondary concern is sustainability. Whilst in Germany, you're definitely seeing sustainability as a higher priority. So we think in the German con- consumer is a slightly different consumer to the UK consumer than that. But the interesting point here, though, is that we are a company that wants to have an impact. That's part of the founding story I told you earlier. And actually, sustainability is most important to our employees, my team. Right, people have joined Bike Club because they want to have that impact, and that's why for us it's a hugely important part of what we do. Trying to be a sustainable company that is taking away from linear sort of retailing and buy and throw away, and creating a more circular economy, and that's what's quite exciting. And I think it's kind of why a lot of us come to work every day, and and not on the weekends, obviously we're a fair employer, but <laughs> uh, um, come to work and and try and push this concept forwards. And it's really it's it is really really rewarding, particularly when you get to make lots of families super happy um, when you're doing it. I think that's a really nice point to close on. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for making lots of families super happy. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we will discuss sustainability further in an episode dedicated to the refill side of subscriptions. We've also got other episodes on products, whether that's consumables, craft gin, flowers, 
cheese. Um, and there's a very special live episode coming up that was recorded at the Sub X event earlier this year. For now, though, a massive thank you to James, a massive thank you to Louis. You can find the subscription podcast on Apple, on Spotify, Podbeam, or on internetretailing.net. But for now, thank you very much. I'm Katie Searles. Thank you.